Hello, I'm Rod Butler. Welcome to Let God Speak. In 1913, 26-year-old Arthur Momand published a comic strip that went on to be syndicated for the next 25 years. The comic strip was based upon his experiences trying to live in affluent Nassau County, Long Island, New York. The comic strip was called Keeping Up With The Joneses. That name has become a common phrase today and means to strive to match your neighbours in spending and social standing. And while we may smile at this phrase, at its heart, it's dealing with covetousness, a condition so deadly that God prohibits it in the Ten Commandments. Today we're going to discuss this important topic of covetousness. On our panel today, we have Lena Yuan and Rosemary Malkovich. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. Before we start, let's bow for prayer. Gracious Father, covetousness has been the ruin of many people. Mm. As we discuss this topic, we ask for the Holy Spirit for wisdom and guidance to us and our viewers. Thank you that the Bible has plenty to say on this topic. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as, as I said, we're going to be discussing covetousness. But before we start to discuss that, what actually is covetousness? Rosemary. Ah, right. OK, then let me tell you what the dictionaries say. Today's dictionaries, Cambridge um, Dictionary says to want to have something very much, especially something that belongs to someone else. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary puts it stronger. It says to wish for earnestly, to desire what belongs to another inordinately or culpably. The Hebrew word for covet used in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 verse 17 is thou shalt not covet means to literally delight or desire greatly. And uh, the meaning of it hasn't changed since that time, since the Ten Commandments was written. It's the same thing. It means down at the ground level to want something that does not belong to you with great obsession and deep mm. passion. Mm. I mean, that is deep. It is, and the fact that meaning hasn't changed. Now, mm -hmm. you mentioned the Ten Commandments. Yes. I'm going to read uh, Exodus 20, verse 17, from, which is the Tenth Commandment. And it says, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his maidservant, nor his, uh, sorry, manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Now, we're not to have a strong desire for any of these things. So, Lena, what's so different about this commandment compared to the other nine? Yeah, sure. Uh, the other nine commandments deal with uh, our physical behaviors and deeds, such as, you know, um, not worshipping idols and blaspheming and keeping the Sabbath and stealing or murdering or uh, committing adultery and lying. Uh, whereas, um, however, the, the Tenth Commandment deals with our very thoughts Obviously, it is from our thoughts that our actions are, are, arise. So uh, even Jesus put an emphasis on this. We're going to look at Matthew 5, 28. Here he says, But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So um, 
being obedient to God actually goes to the depth of our thoughts. So from coveting, um, you know, all sins are stemmed from. Yeah, interesting. Now, we're talking about what we think about. Um, Rosemary, is there any doubt that, that coveting is destructive? Well, no. Let's look at a list of sins that go along with coveting. In 1 Corinthians um, chapter 6 and verse, verses 9 and 10, this is a diabolical group of, of things in here. Do you not know, says Paul, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. This is important. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, there's our word, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Mm. That is very strong. And you notice there that covetous practices, thoughts, um, and things that we do go along with revilers, those who... um, who speak very, very badly to other people and, and drag them down. It's there with idolaters. It's there with adulterers and um, fornicators and drunkards and thieves. It's really, really bad. Mm. It's, uh, it's a very diabolical thing. It doesn't just mean to covet someone's possessions, their house or whatever, but also can be to covet somebody else's um, educational status or their prominence in something, the, the praise that people get for using their talents. Um, it can be to even covet somebody else's standing in an association within a church. People can covet somebody else's position. Because that covetousness will result in a change of behaviour which can lead to other... Yeah, especially yeah. change of behaviour towards the person <coughs> who has the thing that you're coveting. Okay, well, we're going to go way back in time now and we're going to look at how covetousness affected a very prominent individual. So turn with me. I'm going to be reading um, uh, Isaiah 14, and I'm going to read from verses 12 to 14. And it says, How art thou, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, now listen to all these eyes, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. We're talking here about Lucifer and his his strong desires. So, um, Lena, what can we say played a crucial role in the downfall of Lucifer? Yeah, um... If we look at Ezekiel um, chapter 28, verses from 13 to 19, and it talks about uh, Lucifer as um, covering cherub, who was one of the closest angels out to God. And um, uh, verse 17 says, you know, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. So his beauty and pride um, led him to covet, to ascend, the throne of God and the right to be worshipped. And sin arose because Lucifer uh, indulged in coveting. Mm-hmm. So um, eventually God um, had to invict him from heaven and um, 
who coming to that, you know, down to this earth and became Satan, and um, and he um, ruled, and ha- oh, actually his intentions were shifted f- um, to this earth and our you know, humanity, and uh, wanted to be ruled and worshipped by us. So here we have covetousness, you know, at its core, is resulting in sin entering creation, which is amazing. It's uh, so. Lena, he did get uh, brought down to the earth. So Rosemary, um, what did he use the same tactics? How, what tactics did he use to get humanity to fall? Well, what he did was he used the tactic of deception and he deceived Eve to distrust God. And along with that, he deceived Eve to lust after what God said they couldn't have. Um, and on top of that, he made her feel like, I can be like God which is what he wanted. And so he was deceiving. Um, He tempted her to covet what was God's, what was not hers. Because God said, that one tree is mine, don't touch it. He only reserved one tree for himself. And he made her think that that tree was a good tree to to eat from where, where it wasn't. And she took from that tree and stole from God and brought ruin upon humanity when Adam ate of it too. So again, there's covetousness involved, there's deception and covetousness. Mm. I want to read two, two verses now, because this leads on to another aspect we don't think about when it comes to coveting. Turn with me to Ephesians, and I'm going to start with Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 5, and it says, For this ye know, that no whoremonger nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And the second verse, the second verse is in Colossians. So just turn with me to Colossians chapter 3 this time and verse 5 also. And 3 verse 5 says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now it's twice Paul has linked uh, covetousness with idolatry. So, Lena, how do we how do we get that connection? How would you explain that? Um, in actual fact, uh, this emphasizes that coveting um, focuses our thinking on wanting something so badly that our desire is for it rather than for the Lord. And so, we're going to look at uh, Proverbs twenty-three, verse seven: "For as he thinks in his heart, so is he." So the exaltation of material possessions or things uh, takes the um, um, the place of our thoughts for the Creator. So it doesn't leave any room for the Creator. And so whatever actually takes the place of God in our mind is considered an idol. Okay, and today there's lots of things that can be considered idols that uh, are taking the place of God. Thanks for that, Lena. Now. Um, with respect to covetousness, coveting has a negative connotation. Uh, when we use that word, we think, oh, covetous, not good. But Rosemary, is it, so to speak, possible to have uh, positive covetousness? Are there desires that can be positive, not just coveting? There, there certainly are. Uh, there are a number of verses that talk about um, coveting being a negative thing, like lusting in a negative way for things. Um, for example, Ephesians 2.3, Romans 1.21-24, Romans 15.23. 
Um, but then there's also, uh, sorry, 15.23, that's um, where Paul is using it to say desire, which is an, another place uh, he uses it is in 1 Corinthians 12.31, where he talks about desiring or coveting the best gifts to earnestly desire something that's good, something that can be used for the good of others. And in, in this way, coveting is a good thing because you're wanting to use it not for self, but you're wanting to use the thing for other people, for the work of God. So mm. it can be good. So when we have a strong desire for God's work and for the gifts that we can do God's work, that's a healthy thing. Yeah, but we shouldn't be doing it, coveting someone who has a gift and saying, I want that gift. I, that gift should be mine. Yeah. Or that position should be mine. That is coveting in a negative way. Yeah. Okay, we, we discussed that Eve was caught up in a covetousness um, for a lusting after a fruit, and she was deceived. Now, the Bible has other ex three other examples we're going to look at now where people coveted, and we're going to start with Achan uh, in the Old Testament. So, Lena, over to you. Who was Achan? Um, yeah, Achan was one of the Israelites who uh, crossed over the Jordan River into the Promised Land. And he had seen the miracles of God himself in the wilderness and with manna and water and pillow of fire by night and cloud by day and defeating a sign and og and um, a parting of the Jordan River, etc. And so he had um, witnessed or experienced the reality of God himself, which was a privilege. And he was a family man from the tribe of Judah and also uh, took part in the um, miraculous, um, you know, uh, um, destruction of Jericho as well. Yeah, he would have seen all those uh, great miracles and would have had no doubt that God was real. Yeah. Okay. So that's who he was, Rosemary. What did he covet? Right. This is where it gets really, really interesting because Achan did something totally against what God said. God had said when they took over Jericho, they were to kill every person. They were to take of the gold, the silver and put it into God's treasury for the temple. They were not to use it for themselves. It was purely belonging to God. This was the first fruits of taking over Canaan. Mm. And that first fruits belonged to God. The people, unfortunately, had to be destroyed because they were so evil and so given over to idolatry that their impact on the Israelites would have been very, very severely bad. Um, but Achan, let's read about Achan. Joshua 6, verse 19. And it tells us here, but all this is what God was saying, but all the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall go, come into the treasury of the Lord. This is what Joshua is communicating to the people. But this is what Achan did in Joshua 7, verse 21. This is his confession. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them, Caesar used the word, and took them. And there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver, silver under it. So he was coveting exactly what God had said. You are not allowed to touch it. It is all for God. You don't touch it. And so what he did was he not only took it, he hid it. He dug a hole under his tent, 
and put it in the hole. Which implies he knew it was wrong. He knew it was wrong. He was hiding it. But his family was, how do you do that without your family knowing? Mm -hmm. And so the family would have been implicit in it too. And the whole family had to die. But not only that, when he um, had taken those things, God withdrew his protection of the people Mm. and said there's sin in the camp. Because when they went to take Ai, Ai inhabitants defeated the Israelites. God was not with them. And people died. Innocent men died and families lost their husbands and fathers because of one man's sin. He coveted what was God's, just like Eve had done at the tree. Okay, so the consequences were that the family had to die. and Many people had died. Many people had died. So there's a direct correlation that caused death. So, Mm. okay, um, staying with you, Rosemary, we're going to move on to another story now. And this is the story of Judas. Um, Now, we've all heard of Judas, but Rosemary, who was Judas? Judas was... Um, Well, John tells us four times that Judas was the son of Simon. And we presume that it's Simon the Pharisee who had been a leper and healed by Jesus um, because there was a certain um, incident that happened at a feast that Simon made for Jesus. And Judas was one of the main players in there. Um, He was a very talented administrator. He was very good with money. But he was so good with money, he was pocketing away for himself money that belonged to Jesus and the other disciples. He was numbered among the 12. He was a very prominent person. He had a lot of talent. Mm. Jesus could have done a lot with him in Mm. his work, but he couldn't. So, Lena, that's who Judas was. Very talented guy, administrator, a disciple. What did he covet? Explain to us that, that aspect. Yeah, sure. Uh, Let's have a look at, uh, have a read, John 12, verses from 3 to 6. Um, Then Mary took a pound of uh, very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This is said not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. As Rosemary pointed out already, um, Judas coveted money. Right? So his covetousness of money actually led him to even take the money from the you know, common fund of the disciples as well. And so Mary, we could see that poured um, the equivalent volume of a can of a spike night oil onto Jesus. And but Judas got really angry about it because he felt that it was wasted on pouring onto Jesus. And um, you know, rather he wanted um, the spike knot to be given to the disciples so that he could uh, have a control of it and use it and have some wealth from it personally. And it's interesting, too, that a lot of the disciples, again, just like Achan <laughs> hid uh, in his tent, a lot of the disciples didn't realize what he was up to. Yes. So, again, he was hiding this desire for money. Mm. Rosemary, what were the, what were the consequences? What, what happened to Judas? Well, Judas went and betrayed Jesus because of the situation, mainly because of the situation with the spike nut. He was so offended and thought that Jesus was doing wrong. So he 
got 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus, which was way below the cost of the spikenard. When Jesus was arrested and sent to trial and he saw that he had done wrong, he didn't repent. He threw the money back and said, I have sinned, but he killed himself. He hung himself and he could not be forgiven because he didn't ask for forgiveness. And this is one of the things that we have to learn about from Judas. If we do not allow the Holy Spirit to work in us to overcome the secret sin in our lives, we will be lost. Mm. Our thoughts are very important to, to think the right mm. things and do the right things. Yeah, the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? <clears throat> We've got to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us what's in our heart so that we won't be caught out. That's right. Two sad examples. We're going to move on to our third example now. Our third example is um, in the New Testament. So we're going to move, stay in the New Testament. And we're talking about Ananias and Sapphira. This is the early Christian church. They were part of the believers in that church. They saw all the miracles that were going on. They saw the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Spirit on the day of Pentecost. They witnessed it all. And they were believers. So with that... Um, how could they possibly be caught up in coveting, Lena? What did they do? Well, let's have a look at um, the Acts, chapter 5, verses from 1 to 4. But a certain man named Ananias and with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, and his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Mm. So obviously we can see that they coveted money. And um, they obviously wanted to follow the example of Barnabas, who's sold his land and brought the proceeds to the dis, uh, disciples. So they both, um, Ananias and Sapphira, agreed to bring, um, you know, the, the money, um, you know, that they sold. But apparently they s sold it um, a lot less than, well, they reported that, you know, they, um, you know, sold this, you know, for the less amount. In actual fact, uh, they, um, I brought, um, you know, just part of the money, as the Bible says. So that was a problem of it. And but and they also they wanted to keep some of the money of the sale to themselves. But they were actually acting like they were contributing, contributing to the whole um, to the church, the whole amount of the sale. So um, they also were coveting, in a sense, appraises as well. So they were trying to act like they were, um, you know, generous in giving and the whole amount. This is interesting because they're not so much coveting money because it was their money to start with, but they're coveting praise. And you mentioned that earlier, Rosemary, at the start. Mm. Uh, we can covet praise. We want people to think we're great. So we covered that. And they went to extraordinary lengths mm. to get that praise. Yes. So what were the consequences, Rosemary? Um, let's look at uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 5. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. So as soon as P Peter had pronounced the denunciation against him that he had lied to God, not to man, he died. They took him out to bury him. And then in verse 10, it tells us when his wife came in and agreed to the same lie, 
she also fell over and died on the spot. God, though it seems harsh, God had to do something, otherwise the infant church would be terribly affected by this sin. Mm-hmm. Rose, we're going to stay with you to, uh, to go on with this. Now, we're bombarded every day with things they want us to buy and aspire for, etc. You know, media marketing is trying to get us to do things we probably normally wouldn't do, but to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak. Yeah. Um, what practical things can we do each day to guard against covetousness? Okay, one of the, the things we've got to remember is we've got to guard our thoughts. Mm-hmm. And there's um, 2 Corinthians 10.5, which I really appreciate. The second part of that says, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And that is what the Bible tells us we must do. But there are some practical things apart from that that we can do too, like being daily in prayer, asking God to reveal secret sins to us so that we can then repent of them and turn away from them. Because if we don't ask God, we don't know necessarily that we're doing things wrong. Um, We can ask him to take away that desire. Another thing we can do is when wrong thoughts come into our mind, we can ask God to help us to let go of those thoughts. And as you do that, you build new pathways in your brain Mm. and weaken those bad pathways. That's an important thing for us to learn to do. Um, Don't linger on the wrong thoughts. Linger on the truth and on good things instead. And those bad ones will be broken. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except as such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. So we've got to remember, God has promised he will help us. We need to have regular Bible study. We need to be saturating our minds with the word of God. Because if we're not doing that, we will fall. Um, Then we also have to develop generosity to help other people and as we're helping other people we'll forget about our own selfish desires yeah that that um, developing generosity is very important and it in relation to that last point you made about generosity i just would like to read a quote here this quotes from author ellen white and she wrote this in her book the adventist home and i'll read it, it says constant self-denying benevolence is God's remedy for the cankering sins of selfishness and covetousness. Mm. He has ordained that giving should become a habit, that it may counteract the dangerous and deceitful sin of covetousness. Continual giving starves covetousness to death. Mm. That's very powerful. Very powerful. Well, that's all we've got time for today. So thank you, Lena. Thank you, Rosemary. Well, covetous is deadly, as we discussed today, and knows no bounds. But the great news is that covetousness can be overcome when we focus our minds on Jesus and ask for the Holy Spirit to change our thoughts. We can walk with the Holy Spirit in love and service to others, just as Jesus did. A life led by the grace of Jesus and by prayer will focus our thoughts away from our selfish desires to wanting to work for God in service to others. And that's a sure antidote to covetousness. So thank you for joining us on Let God Speak. All past programs plus teacher's notes are available on our website, 3abnaustralia.org.au. 
Email us if you wish on lgs at 3abinaustralia.org.au. Join us again next time and God bless. You have been listening to Let God Speak, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. To catch up on past programs, please visit 3abnaustralia.org.au. Call us in Australia on 02 4973 3456 or email radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you.